Well, good day, friends, and welcome to another episode of our Equip podcast, where we look back at what we learned on Sunday, as well as consider a few bonus points of learning along the way. So last Sunday, we looked at what are the marks of a true church. There are lots of groups that might call themselves a church, but how do we know? How do we know that Wyoming Church of Christ is, in fact, a true church as the scriptures understand it? Well, uh, what adds complexity to this question is that for many hundreds of years, the Roman Catholic Church was considered the one true church, and any others were considered pretenders. Now, that would include us as a Protestant church. So what do we do with that? Well, we answered that question by initially going back to the Nicene Creed, and hopefully by now those four words are just rolling off your tongue. The four words that define the church from the Nicene Creed, of course, are one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. They're good words. They're helpful words. Uh, However, as we saw, as time went on, the Roman Catholic Church came to understand these words in a way that was different to their original meeting under the Nicene Creed. So for a church to be one meant that it was one under the authority of church tradition and the Pope. There's no church apart from the institutional group that's under the Pope. For the church to be holy meant less about its character and more about the fact that it had been gifted with the holy sacraments. So in the Protestant church, we have baptism and communion In the Roman Catholic Church, there's a longer list, which includes rites for the dead and and so on. Vatican II, which was a uh, meeting some years ago, actually came out and said that it is in her, that is the Roman Catholic Church and its sacraments, that by the grace of God, we acquire holiness. How do we become holy? By participating in the sacraments in the church, the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, It's Catholic in the sense that, once again, there's no church beyond its borders, and apostolic in the sense that um, it's under the Pope who is part of the apostolic succession, like a pipeline right back to Peter. Now, um, when the 16th century rolls around and we see the Reformation begin, then the Protestant church, as we now understand it, departs from those definitions. Are we one? Well, no, because we've detached from the supposed one true church, the Roman Catholic Church. Are we holy? Well, no, we're not doing all the sacraments that they were doing. And besides that, only Roman Catholic priests could administer the sacraments. Are we Catholic? Well, no. Uh, We're separated from the Roman Catholic Church that came before. And also, are we apostolic? No, we don't trace back to the lineage of Peter. We, We don't have the Pope who stands in apostolic concession. Now, this is all according to the Roman Catholic Church, of course. What we did see, however, is that the Roman Catholic Church, although it might claim to be spread throughout the world and be the one true church, has in fact ruptured its link with the early church and the Nicene Creed by corrupting Christian doctrine. That's a quote from Edmund Clowney. The Roman Church might claim to be spread throughout the world, but it has ruptured its link with the early church by corrupting Christian doctrine. That is, they preach a different gospel. It's a lot, a lot that we may have in common with Roman Catholics, but on this one, this central issue of what is the gospel, we actually understand things very, very differently. And so the Protestant reformers began to think, what do we do 
uh, how do we now define a true church scripturally? And on the one hand, they, they tried to sort of recover and nuance the meaning of one holy Catholic and apostolic. So that was on the one hand. And then on the other, they tried to define the church a bit more by what the church does. And you might remember our, our categories from right back in week one, where we talked about the church's being and the church's doing, or the church's ontology and its function. Uh, the one holy Catholic apostolic definitions are all to do with being, but these Protestant categories I'm about to unpack are to do with function. So what does the true church do? It preaches God's word rightly, or it rightly preaches God's word. It rightly practices the sacraments, that is baptism and communion. And it rightly practices church discipline. Among the early reformers, there was pretty broad agreement that those are the three marks of a true church. Why does preaching matter? Well, because the gospel matters. Proclaiming the gospel is what we've been commanded to do. And part of our gathering is that, of course, we sit under the word of God. And it matters that the word is preached, not simply discussed or thought about. Sermons matter. Particularly now in an age where pedagogy, that is theory of education, seems to have moved on from the idea of a monologue, sermons still matter. Something that, that really is expressed in listening to a sermon is that I am coming under the authority of God's word. We're silent and God speaks. Now, of course, the preacher isn't God, but he is unpacking God's words. And so there's a discipline to preaching that pitches our response to God. This is why sermons matter. Secondly, the sacraments rightly practiced. We're only given two sacraments by Jesus, two sort of ritual-like activities, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And they're matters of obedience that we carry them out. Uh, also, baptism and the Lord's Supper have a lot to do with membership in the local church. The scriptures picture baptism as the mode of entry into the local church. I'm already saved by faith and already part of Jesus' universal church, as it were. But the way in which I show to a local body of believers that, yes, I'm now a Christian, and they, in return, affirm me as a Christian, is baptism in the New Testament. And then uh, the Lord's Supper is an ongoing proclamation of the fact that I'm part of this body. 1 Corinthians 10 has a bit of a, a reflection on that if you want to chase it down. Probably of particular note is that communion is not just a me thing and neither is baptism. They're communal things. Baptism is the doorway into the local church and then the Lord's Supper is sitting down for the family meal together. And then finally, church discipline. Now, without church discipline, the church can't actually be holy. Uh, consider, for example, in 1 Corinthians 5, where Paul says that uh, there's, there's such a horrible thing happening that even amongst the pagans, it wouldn't be tolerated. There's a man who has his father's wife. That is, he's sleeping with his stepmother. Um, 
this obviously shouldn't be happening in a church body. And we, we can look as well in our own church experience of sin that spread and was tolerated and was swept under the rug and absolutely shouldn't have been. Now, what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 5? He says that the church should put out that man who's sleeping with his stepmother. Uh, this disgusting sin that's being tolerated should be tolerated no more. And if he won't repent, excommunicate him, disfellowship him, treat him as if he's not a Christian. Because really, he's not living it as one. It's as if his faith uh, is being disproven by his actions. Now, uh, the early reformers pointed out, particularly Calvin pointed out, that without church discipline, you really can't have any kind of order. And so for a church to be an orderly body, you need it. That's why these three elements are so important. Preaching the word rightly, practicing the sacraments rightly, and practicing church discipline rightly. Um, if you check on the class notes, some people distinguish the, the third mark a little bit by also saying that order is important in terms of leadership. Uh, our polity is important. We're going to look at that this Sunday. Uh, I, I tend to think that church discipline is actually the remit of the congregation as a whole, not just the leaders. And so cautious in saying that uh, the institution of particular leadership is necessary to mark a true church. Uh, nonetheless, we would do well by looking at the New Testament pattern in which elders were put in place in every church. So stands to reason that a church really does need elders. They need uh, people with authority who are preaching, teaching, leading, directing, praying uh, for it really to be a church. Now, a couple of things to think through in light of this. Uh, what's the most important things to look for when choosing a church? Well, we might look for entertainment, we might look for welcoming people, we might look for great music, we might look for really excellent Bible teaching, and we should. Um, but the first and foremost thing is that we look for the word being rightly preached, that is, the gospel being proclaimed. Secondly, that the sacraments are being rightly practiced. And thirdly, that church discipline is actually happening. Whether a sermon is 20 minutes or 40 minutes is actually less important than those things. Whether a church has really great music or not, or sings the kind of songs you like, is less important than those things. They're still important things, but they're secondary compared to the word being preached rightly, sacraments being practiced rightly, and the church discipline actually happening. Um, for example, if you go into a church and they don't have a sermon, uh, then don't go to that church <laughs> would be one of the outcomes of, of this. Uh, if you go in and they are proclaiming God's word, but it's, it's not absolutely perfect, then, well, you, you've got to then think, okay, does this doctrinally line up with what I think? And can this be a place where I grow? Yep, those are important considerations. But first, look for those three. Is the word rightly preached? Are the sacraments rightly practiced? And is church discipline rightly functioning? Secondly, um, can we partner with Catholics? To what extent can we? Well, we've got to remember that firstly, is the word rightly taught? Well, likely not in a Catholic mass. It's a false gospel, so that gets a bit of an X. Are the sacraments rightly applied? No, they're not. Um, they believe in transubstantiation in which the body and uh, blood of Christ are actually physically present in the bread and the wine. 
there's a relationship with God that happens through the sacraments rather than through faith in the gospel. So big thing there. And then is church discipline rightly practiced? Well, yeah, probably actually. <laughs> the third one, they can get a tick. But on those first two, we'd, we'd have to go, hmm, the Roman Catholic Church is not a true church. Any partnership we have with them would therefore be the kind of partnership we'd have with any non-Christian organization. So we, we might want to work together to help the community, but we couldn't participate together in matters of proclaiming the gospel. We believe a different gospel. Now, um, that's church-to-church -church relationships. Don't be nervous if you're doing school scripture and there are some Catholics there too. Uh, that's different. Uh, but church-to-church, uh, -church, we've got to remember it's true church to false church. And then finally, as an important one to think through, what about house churches? Are they bona fide churches in the real sense? Well, the questions to ask are, in any expression that calls itself church, is the word being taught in a context of sermon? A lot of house churches will have a discussion, but not a sermon. And so I'd be really cautious in calling that a church if they don't have someone who's authoritatively declaring God's word. Are there baptisms happening? Is the Lord's Supper celebrated, at least from time to time? You've got to ask that. And then secondly, is there order in the sense of church discipline? Um, you might even add, are there actually elders that, that help preside over that order? Uh, if you tend to extrapolate that out. Um, probably what that means is that a lot of supposed house churches are probably not churches. They're groups of Christians that are getting together that really ought to be part of established churches still. Um, you could say that there are some, that the very rare house church that does have a sermon, does practice the sacraments, does uphold church discipline and has maybe some kind of leadership. Uh, that is quite rare. Uh, they do exist. Um, and there are advantages to meeting in a small group that are pragmatic, as well as advantages that are uh, more pragmatic to the larger church, an established church. But uh, we don't just want to think pragmatically. If there's anything that I'm trying to get through to you this semester, it's that we need to think theologically. So apply that thinking to uh, your choices about a church you might worship at, including our own, uh, to thinking about Catholics and then also thinking about house churches. Now, I for one am thankful that we've got a church which does preach the gospel and preaches God's word week in, week out, that really takes the sacrament seriously as well as church discipline and really excited about our direction forward with membership as part of all that too. Looking forward to meeting you guys this Sunday. Sorry that this uh, podcast was a little bit late. Uh, we'll be looking together at polity church leadership this Sunday. Catch you then.